So you actually have to ask yourself, how do these people who live thousands and thousands of kilometers away from the first police station or from the first court, how do they resolve their disputes? The conditions of the slaves are tough. Because an slave, he travels with his master. He is not remunerated. He is not paid. He is not paid. Is this being a girl or a woman? If this is being a girl or a woman, then it's not for me. I'm not this girl they are talking about. I'm not this woman they are talking about. Welcome to Rule of Law Talk, a podcast series of the World Justice Project. Here we share the latest learning about the rule of law, what it is, how it works, how we can strengthen it. I'm Joe Haley, ACLS Mellon Public Fellow and Program Manager for the Rule of Law Solutions Initiative. In this podcast mini-series, I'll be sharing research about justice innovations around the world. We'll dive deep with justice champions in some of the most difficult environments for development and the rule of law. In this episode, I speak with Babatunde Ibidapo Obe, a Nigerian lawyer and the founder of LawPaddy, a legal empowerment platform that uses street law and automated legal advice to help ordinary citizens resolve their most common civil justice problems. LawPaddy offers a legal referral service as well as distributing information about everyday justice topics such as business registration and divorce. Their approach to legal self-help directly targets the slow pace of formal legal processes in Nigeria. Another young innovator on the hunt for solutions, Tunde evaluates the successful conclusion of a case in terms of client satisfaction rather than the delivery of a predefined output. Reframing legal services in this way requires a shift in emphasis toward measuring a user's subjective experience at the conclusion of their interaction with the law. This focus on second and third order consequences also helps illuminate the connection between civil justice and state fragility since recourse to legal self-help underscores the extent to which everyday Nigerians are forced to provide essential services for themselves. Across the Sahel, providing accessible civil justice should be a key priority in the effort to build public trust. For whenever justice encounters delays, or worse, breaks down entirely, it not only overburdens the court system, it can also lead to the aggrieved party introducing a criminal complaint into civil matters. As my subsequent interviews with law clinicians reveal, this practice has contributed to corruption and abuse within Nigeria's criminal justice system, including overcrowded prisons and pretrial detention lasting months or even years. In response to these conditions, Nigerians have taken justice into their own hands, normalizing extrajudicial violence and sparking cycles of retribution. LawPaddy aims to disrupt this destructive spiral at several levels. First, 
by using chatbots and face-to-face -face consultations to provide free legal advice directly to citizens. Second, by referring its clients to a network of trusted attorneys in private practice. And third, by leveraging user data to build an early warning system for civil legal problems. Over the long term, LawPaddy's growing evidence base may support its broader mission to reform Nigeria's legal systems one tweak at a time. Ultimately, Tunde aspires to develop legal tech beyond its current focus on discrete applications and to integrate self-help and legal services into a holistic platform for legal empowerment and justice reform. My name is Baba Tunde Bidakpobe. Um, I am a Nigerian lawyer, um, and um, the dream for Law Paddy started around when I got qualified to practice law in Nigeria in 2009. So at that time, once you get qualified to practice law, everybody around you feels like you are their go-to person for legal advice. And so what used to happen was a lot of the information I was giving to people was always kind of repetitive. They would ask me the same, different people would ask me the same questions. I moved over to the UK in 2010, and then I saw that the UK had a lot of all these online ways that you could learn about, you, uh, about the law. And they had the Citizens Advice Bureau, you had things like which, you had a lot of outlets for you to be able to get information about the law. And then I started to think that this would be great for, for a country like Nigeria. Now, I thought the concept would be great, but obviously with Nigeria, we have our own peculiarities. And so I thought, how can I introduce a different flavor to it in Nigeria? And I'm not going to lie, when I started in, in, um, with Law Party in Nigeria, it started off as a primarily commercial venture. I thought, how can I create a, a platform where you can have all the people who have legal problems come on it and then serve as essentially um, a referral service to, for lawyers? And that's how the Law Party um, idea started. Um, in 2015, the 1st of July 2015, and we launched. Um, the first three months, I started to see that the the volume of people that were having problems was so much and the way that they would be able to solve those problems didn't exist. Because we just, when I created the platform, it was just, you have a problem, we put you in touch with a lawyer. But we were seeing people that had problems and they couldn't afford to speak to lawyers, they couldn't afford to hire lawyers. And so we were seeing that there's a clear need for these legal services, but there's not, the ability to be able to pay for these services didn't exist. And so a year, so during the next year or so, we kept trying to improve our processes. We kept writing new articles and sharing these articles, and we kept getting traction. So year on year since 2015, Law Party has been growing consistently, sometimes even as high as 200%. Um, and so we realized that the solution to problems aren't always lawyers. Sometimes you can create alternative solutions that can solve some people's problems. And so what we started to do was we started to look at things like around automation. Um, in 2016, we launched the first legal chatbots in Africa, which was called ADA, which is called ADA. So ADA is the automated divorce advisor. And what ADA did was actually, it was, it was created from a need to reduce the, the stress on our internal resource. So what we saw was a lot of people were coming on the platform trying to get information about how they can get a divorce, whether or not they're eligible for a divorce. And we had our team almost on a daily basis responding to the same query in different ways. And so we thought, why can't we standardize these responses? If people meet A, B, C criteria, then this is what happens. And so we created, we launched Adaya in, in 2016, on the 1st of July, 2016. 
and it just went crazy. The, the the volume of people that were interacting with Ada was it was so um, impressive. Then we thought, okay, this is something. So we're able to help some people because you get people who would ordinarily have had to speak to a lawyer to get the legal advice just to find a legal consultation just to find out that, oh, they're not eligible for a divorce or they're eligible for a divorce, but then they couldn't afford that lawyer. So just like that, we're able to solve the problem around consultations, around legal consultations for things around divorces because Ada was able to help them to determine whether or not they, they could get a divorce. And so the, the success with Ada, um, coupled with the growth of our platform, meant that we were able to see more trends. So with that, like I said, with Ada, it was, we were seeing the trends for divorce. We looked back into our data and said, okay, where are the other pain points? We started seeing pain points around business formations, seeing pain points around getting access to um, um, getting um, financial grants and things like that. And so we created a, a different chatbot for that. This was called Binta, this Business in Nigeria Technology Advisor. And so Binta had a lot of good traction as well. And so we then took a step back and said, okay, we have, and I say this with all modesty, we have very good legal content in Nigeria. And so that is a treasure trove for determining what the legal issues people are facing in Nigeria are. What we need to do is shift the focus from just focusing on trying to refer people to lawyers to seeing what are the services that are not necessarily full legal services that we can provide that can help those people. And so we started to introduce things like templates for sending out season desist letters, templates for sending out recovery, le recovery letters. And then we started to see that a lot of people were coming into the ecosystem, into our ecosystem and being helped by the services that we're providing. And so fast forward now to 2020, um, since then we have three, four chatbots that are operational, one for divorce issues, another for business issues, another for landlord and tenant issues. And then we have loads of um, templates, um, automated templates for things like recovering um, um, the debts, making a complaint for, um, um, with your, against your bank, against your mobile network provider. So we have loads of complaint letters, loads of templates for helping people. So Law Party has kind of shifted from just being a um, primarily information platform to an information and action platform. And what we then saw, and this is, like I said, this is fast forward into 2020, what we saw was that it's, we're doing really good helping the people that have access to smartphones, have access to laptops, have access to the internet. But there was a large, there's a large section of the population that is underserved. So since we launched, we've, we've, we've been able to reach about a million people. Um, and we, saw, we thought, well, it's great if you're doing that well online, but you need to find a way that you can reach the people um, um, in the, lo the lower income brackets. And so, and that brings us to why we're here at the Innovating Justice Forum in 2020, because the, the Hill, who, um, um, who organizes this event, are one of our um, um, partners and sponsors, and they challenged us to see how can you take this to the next level to help those people on the streets the people who have, don't have access to the internet and things like that. And so we came up with a plan. Um, we decided that we could go offline, essentially. And the way we go offline is we empower paralegals and agents. We empower, empower them to go into the streets, use our technology, and then be able to solve these problems. And so by speaking to them on, on a day-to-day -day basis in the place where they live, where they work, and then engaging with them in their native language in the ways that they can easily understand, and then using the tools that we have to solve those problems. So we're taking the tech tools and we're deploying it on the streets. And what we saw was that number one, people love it. 
for them, they've never ever either been, A, they, they don't know any lawyers. In their family, in their, in their networks, lawyers don't exist. And so, and B, they didn't even understand that the law had, that they had rights that, that they could access. And so we were opening up, opening up a new world for them. And that was, for me, very gratifying. For, for my team, extremely gratifying. And so what we then decided that we need, to, we need to make it, we need to make a process that can actually be replicated across the country. And so we thought, okay, how can we do this in a, in a scalable way? And number one, getting lawyers expensive. Getting any kind of full-time staff is expensive. Um, and then have, being able to deploy them across the country would be expensive. So we thought, what is the best way that we can do this? And then we borrowed on a, on not, it's not a new model. We just kind of rejigged it and then brought it into the, the, the modern day with our technology. And so the model is essentially what people would call street law. The plan is to partner with um, universities. The law departments of universities work with their, their students and then they're able to um, be able to work with us to help the people on the streets. They're able to learn um, to put what they're learning in the schools into action and then they're able to also, in some cases, get academic credit for helping us with the project. And so it's, it's something that the, the, the plan was, like I said, it was a plan that we came up with um, a few months ago. And then in order to do it, what we did is that we created a pilot. The pilot program, the pi pilot program went extremely well with the University of Lagos. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm extremely excited to know that we're going to go to the next phase, which is a test phase where we actually do it for a longer period of time. The, the pilot um, program lasted for one month. We want to go into a test phase that's going to be for about nine months. So yeah, so that's a bit about me and what we've been doing with Law Party over the last few years. Thank you. So that was a, a really comprehensive overview of, of the development of Law Patty, which has this very unique combination of services. The, many of the interventions that we hear about are these single strategy programs. But what seems so innovative about Law Patty is that you have prototyped, experimented, learned from your successes and adapted and developed new products that are kind of an extension of and building on strategies that you've, you've tried previously. I'm curious about that inflection moment when you're looking at the service that you're already providing and you're looking at the users who are benefiting from that service and giving you feedback, how do you know what's working? How are you measuring success at that moment? Is it a process? Do you have some kind of program for monitoring and evaluating the outcome of these programs? Is it, is it a financial consideration? What are some of the different moving pieces at the moment when, say, you've rolled out your first chatbot and you're trying to make the decision as the executive of this organization to invest in another version of the platform. Okay, th thank you so much, Joe. So for us, um, and I, if, if you don't mind, I'm just going to go back a bit to how we even come up with the idea of the chatbot. I, I kind of referenced it previously. But like I said, we see the problems. And in seeing the problems, what we're able to know is that, okay, there's a, there's a, there's a growing population of the uh, user base that are having this issue and for whatever reason, we don't either don't A, have the solution or B, the lawyers we're putting them in touch with aren't able to solve that problem. And so um, with the divorce chatbot, when we created it, um, we saw an in, in, in almost an immediate interaction and, and with, with the chatbot. And so the, the nature of how we manage or, or how we measure the impact that we're making is number one, so when someone comes to the platform looking for information about a divorce, 
Now, we don't measure success to say, oh, someone came looking for a divorce and we got them divorced. That isn't, that isn't success. Um, because people come to the platform looking for information on divorce and, for instance, they just might just want to know. Maybe they're going through a difficult time in their divorce and they just want to know what options are open to them. Or, or maybe they do want to get a divorce, but the law doesn't allow them to get a divorce now. Maybe it has to be in two years down the line. So measuring, measuring um, the effectiveness of, of ADA, the divorce chatbot, based on how many divorces we're able to complete on, with our partners isn't a good me- metric to use. So the metric that we use is looking at the interaction and, and the level of the interaction engagement with the, with the chatbot. And so we're able to see where people are dropping off in the conversation. We're able to see the information that they're putting in. We're able to see the, the questions that they're asking the chatbot. So for instance, when we, we, we see, most times we see that um, the people who come on the platform are people that have just experienced a breakup, a, a split up. They just, they've just been separated from their, their, their spouse. And so there is no way that they can file for divorce now. So we know that whatever the case, it's going to happen at least in two years. And so we're seeing that at that point in time, the information that we've given to them is enough for them to make the decision and plan their lives in such a, in such, in such a way that they know that it's time, or they know when it's time to get a divorce. So we, we, to your question, to your specific questions, how, how we measure this, we measure this by looking at the interactions um, on, on, on the chatbots. We measure it by actually speaking to these people. So we collect some personal data. So we collect their email addresses and, and, and their names. And then we send out surveys on a monthly basis to the people that have used the, the, the so, to a subset of the people that have used the platform or the chatbots and then ask them, okay, what was, what was your need when you came on it? Did this solve the need that you had? Is there anything that we can use to, make, um, to improve the, the process? And we use that not just so we can give percentages and say, oh, 70% of people who use this chatbot found it helpful. It's actually as a learning thing. We use it to learn how we can improve and whatever other ancillary services that we can provide. So for instance, with the chatbots, when with the divorce chatbot, what, what we saw was the people who wanted a divorce and for instance, where had kids, one of the important things for them is that how, if they're separated and unable to have a divorce now, how do they manage that relationship with their, with their spouse until the divorce? And then we, one of the, the services that we're able to quickly lay on top of that was separation agreements. And so where they would agree, okay, this is how much you're going to be contributing each month to the upkeep of the child and all these things like that. So without having that information that we provided, we wouldn't even be able to, to offer those services to them. We couldn't just, you can't just go and say, oh, we sell separation agreements or we provide separation agreements because they don't know whether a separation agreement is what they need. Now, at that point, they say, I want to get a divorce, not I want to get a separation agreement. And so we're able to monitor the, the, the effectiveness of what we're providing through the chatbot by not only seeing how helpful it is to them, but seeing what other services have we been able to, to offer to them that can solve the issue that they have. And so we do that, that process with each chatbot and with each template that we provide. I'll give you an example. We just um, launched a, a template um, service for people who have um, unpaid salaries. And so it's, it's not enough, to, it's not enough to, to say we're giving you a letter, run with it. We also then go back to them and then say, okay, we sent you, we gave you this letter a month ago. What has happened since then? Have you been able to get your salary back? They say yes. They say no. If they say no, they say, okay, what was the risk? We say, what was the response? So we also then track the kinds of responses we're getting so we can preempt it in the letters that we send in future to other, for other um, employees. And so it's always an iterative, iterative process. And the only way that we can, so even when we get negative feedback, we always push that to make the product better, to make the service better. And so we always measure it, not just on 
the final outcome is also on the process and is the person feeling that they are whatever the case they are getting the information and getting at least some form of resolution throughout the process yeah so i think that that is a very generous answer thank you and gives a lot of insight into the process that goes into making a decision about whether to roll out a new product or whether even to just supplement an existing product with a new service for example in the case of the separation agreements zooming back a little bit looking at a little bit of the policy perspective and it, the the research agenda that is also being discussed at this forum. I'm curious if we were to say do a randomized control trial that wanted to not just measure the outputs that you're talking about. We've provided this service to this person. They've gotten the divorce. There's the output. But if we were to say partner with a university and to really understand the effect that Law Patty is having, the difference that it's making in meeting legal needs. I'm curious what you would view as the alternative to Law Patty self help. In other words, who are your competitors, not just in the narrow sense of there are other online legal service providers, but if we were to compare a Law Patty self help intervention to no legal help to seeing a lawyer, what would you want to measure? What would you want to see to know that your innovation is not just a good product that's helping some people, but is actually changing the policy landscape and is making a difference in the legal needs of the Nigerian public as a whole? Thank you very much. Um, So I like questions like this because I'm also a bit of a policy nerd. Um, and I see, and I see that from as, as from our perspective with Law Party, the most critical, if you will, determiner of whether Law Party as an organization is matching up or meeting up to expectations and and comparing it to the alternatives is really around the speed of justice. I know it's a bit of a cliche, but justice delayed is justice denied. And one of the frustrations that we have with Law Party is that no matter what we do no matter what tools that we provide we in this context i'm just i'm going to use divorce again um, i just need to make clear that we're much more than a divorce platform there's other things and other services that we provide but to, to answer this question we'll just stick with this divorce example so if someone ultimately wants to get a divorce then you still ultimately have to engage with the formal justice system and for me the formal justice system is the biggest issue people have with it is just the speed of justice. People think to, my, to themselves that, you know what, I don't want to even get involved. It's going to take two years, it's going to take three years, it's going to take four years. And so the way we would measure our, our success against the alternative is have we been able to manifestly improve the speed with which this person obtains justice? And justice in this sense is the speed with which this person feels that they have gotten a final resolution of whatever issue that they have. And from a policy perspective, we know that, yes, maybe with using a chatbot, it means that in a a two to five minute conversation, you can immediately know whether or not um, you're eligible for a divorce. And that would be against maybe booking a consultation with a lawyer that might take five days, seven days. So maybe we've cut that that period, that that, that process to a two, five minute process. And then maybe in, in, in a separation agreement, you can draft it, uh, we can draft it in a day or because 
we don't use templates for t- separation agreements because it's something that involves conversations. But we reduce the time that it takes for you to be able to draft that, that, those agreements. And so we reduce it for maybe, maybe seven, 10 days to down to a day. So yes, what we measure is um, increasing the speed of justice. Um, but once you then get to the formal justice system, law party as an organization, what we can do kind of breaks down. And so from a policy perspective, one of our aims is to be able to, to push the speed of justice within the formal justice system. And one way that we're doing it, we're, we're doing it is, when sticking to this divorce example, is we know that it, it shouldn't be the case that when in, certain, in every single case when someone needs a divorce, they need to hire a lawyer. There are certain instances where a lawyer might not be needed. Um, for instance, if it's just a man and his wife they don't have any kids and there isn't any domestic violence. There's no infidelity. They've just decided that this marriage isn't working. They want to move on. There's no reason that says these two adults can't come to a decision and say, we don't want to do this anymore because lawyers weren't involved when they got married. Why must lawyers be involved when they want to get a divorce? And so what we're doing in our, with building all this data, understanding what the issues are and the, what the prevalent reason is for, for getting a divorce, if we're able to go back to the formal justice system and say to, and say to them that in the, in the last one year, we've dealt with 100,000 users who have wanted to get a divorce. Of these 100,000 users, 40,000 of them wanted to get a divorce and they, they fall into that bracket I just mentioned where it's just man and wife, no kids, and they haven't been able to get the divorce, but it ultimately they will. And so what you're doing is you're forcing 40,000 people into the court system clogging up the justice system and we cost it out if each case costs X thousand dollars, each case takes X number of years. This is what you are doing to your system. Whereas if you were to switch this thing, if you were to say you don't need a lawyer, all you need is you come to an agreement, a judge maybe rubber stamps the agreement, the decision that they've made, and that takes maybe a day or two in court, then you ultimately, you then declog the justice process and then you're able to make it cheaper for those people to get get a divorce, you're able to make it cheaper on the, on the formal justice system and then reduce the pressure on the system. And so from our perspective, that is where we see it going with the policy. But like to your point that, what's your initial question, which is how do we measure it against and the alternative? The, the only way that we can measure the effectiveness of our platform is are we increasing the speed of justice um, in whatever we're doing? I would just encourage you also to think about um, some of the outcomes that we've measured and maybe as a, a future framework for thinking about there's speed, but then there's also legal satisfaction. So you may have given some thought to that, or it could be more difficult to measure. It would be interesting to see what kind of social scientific partnerships could be necessary to measure those knock-on effects, those second-order effects. And I'd love to turn to that topic now, because one of the key motivations for this study of the Sahel region in general is to understand what really is the role of civil justice in governance, democracy, resilience, or conversely talking about the breakdown of democracy, fragility, conflict in the wider region and in Nigeria specifically? So I think, I think civil justice is one of the biggest, most important issues in any country. And this is because when there is a collective feeling or collective mindset in a country that there is no way that you can, there is no, if you will quote unquote, justice in the system, then it leads to a complete kind of non-challenge towards the system. 
And when there is a non-challenge to us system, what that does is it, it permeates into the country. And so ultimately what it leads to is self-help. And self-help happens across different areas. You have self-help where in, in a, uh, and we see this in Nigeria. And this is one of the things, one of the reasons why as a justice entrepreneur, as a business entrepreneur, as just a, a Nigerian, one of the issues that we see that we need to fix the justice system. We need to bring back confidence in the civil justice system. Because if that confidence continues to wane, everyone is just going to essentially be on their own. Now, and I'll, I'll just give you a, a funny, um, well, funny in, in anecdotally is that in Nigeria, everybody says they're their own local government. So you, you, you get a house, you have to provide your own security. You have to provide your own power. You have to provide your own water. You have to essentially do all the things that local government should be doing for you. You do it yourself for you to have a, a certain standard of life. And what that is turning to is that then you also have to provide your own justice. And so you see it permeating into, into all the different areas. If you look at um, property issues or tenancy issues, um, a landlord has, uh, has a tenant there and he wants to get the tenant out. Maybe the tenant has been there, um, has overstayed um, his rent and he wants to get him out. And he says, I'm not going to go to the court system to, to, to evict this person legally because this is going to take three years. What am I going to do? I'll kick out this person myself, hire some thugs and then throw out all his stuff. We see it all the time in Nigeria. Okay, go to the contracts, you have a purely commercial contract. Someone has breached the terms of a contract. What you should do is engage the courts and sue the person for breach of contract. But that doesn't happen in Nigeria. What you do is, what people sometimes do is that they take the, con the, the commercial contract and they try to impute an element of a crime into it so they can get the police to get involved. The police get involved in the commercial contract. They arrest this person and they essentially force this person to make any payments. So there's a total breakdown in trust of the justice system to be able to properly do what it should be doing and it then permeates across, across the system. And so you have issues where maybe there's been a crime that's been committed. People don't bother arresting the person. They beat the person up. There was a time in Nigeria where there were a lot of public lynching. There was people being um, stoned and, and people being burnt to death in some cases because they, were, they stole. And so the reason why they do that is because they know that if they were to engage the, the justice system whether it's the criminal justice system, the civil justice system, there will be no justice. So everyone is then trying to meet out their own form of justice. And the more and more this becomes ingrained in a system, in a society, the more and more there's a lack of respect for the institution of the state, the institution of government, the institution of justice. And what will then happen is that ultimately you get to a place where there's complete anarchy. And so it's important that the civil justice system reinstates itself. And the only way that you can do that is by ensuring that there is justice, that people feel that if they engage it, whether it's a civil or criminal justice system, if they engage it, then they know that they will get a resolution in a speedy manner and that it's a just resolution. Because when you feel that there's no justice in a country, then essentially you want to be your own justice. And that is a, different, that, that is a very scary place to be. It's really helpful to put it in that broad context, that psychological context, where I think your answer does draw out the mindset that develops when you have to provide for your own legal needs. And when you begin to think of yourself as an agent of the law, rather than resorting to uh, a legitimate government authority to accomplish things, how quickly that can spiral out of control. Um, and I think that's really, really insightful. The other issue that I think has come up a lot that you raise is the issue of access to basic 
economic and public goods, utilities, consumer goods. And we often think of consumer goods as like, I go to the big box store and I buy a new TV, but consumer goods can also include medicines. It can include the quality of physician care. So I'm interested in how civil justice might relate specifically to class action or corrupt cases that could be taken on. Is Law Patty enough in itself to solve these big structural breakdowns where, say, a utility company is defrauding customers uh, or is failing to deliver, or a, a doctor is providing fake medicines and this is making people sick. And if self-help has a limit when it comes to this kind of severe violation as a result of civil justice breakdowns, where do you turn next? Who are your allies when you're referring people to attorneys? How are you strategizing there trying to make that work? So I will answer that question in two ways. Number one, um, to, to answer the latter part of that question is when we see issues like that where, for instance, um, uh, there's massive, uh, the, a company is massively defrauding people or there's lack of access to basic, uh, um, basic medication and things like that. When we do see that, when we do, um, and we get a lot of those kind of things, um, what we... The problem with it is that the people who are complaining about it are the people who don't have the financial capacity to be able to engage the legal system to deal with those issues. And so people uh, that can't afford to get a lawyer to sue a big electricity company or a big uh, bank or a big mobile network provider. And so what we have done is because we're a, essentially we're conduit for a lot of, of, of the legal issues people are facing in Nigeria. When we see trend in specific issues, for instance, if there's a specific bank that is having, that there's been loads of complaints against them about the unfair, unfair labor practices or the specific, um, maybe a specific drink that a lot of people consumed recently and they were having negative effects with, we tend to, because individually they can't engage with a lawyer. A lawyer would cost too much. Um, so what we do then, we tend to engage with these people and then try and convince them to potentially engage with a lawyer that we might um, in, introduce them to to explore class action lawsuits. Um, at the moment, we're, we're working with a, a number of our users who are they're trying to en engage in a class action suit. Actually, there's two of them. There's one against the bank and there's one against um, a food juice um, um, company. And so what we saw was that we had three, four, in the space of maybe a couple of weeks, we had three, four requests that came in and saying that there were unfair practices that they just let lo lo um, almost hundreds of them just let, let them go. They didn't have give them any benefits. They didn't give them any warning. And so we saw those three or four. We engaged with them and they said, and they said, oh, there's loads more people that are in involved. And we engaged them with a lawyer. And the lawyer was then able, on terms that were favorable to the, to the clients, um, were able to then decide to take on action. And, and, and that is going through the process. So when we see the way that we, we know that we can't help because we're not a law firm. What we do is when we see trends and then we see that we can get buy-in from the lawyers to be able to deal with those issues, then we try and aggregate those issues, those clients together, and then put them in touch with lawyers. From a, a, a wider perspective, from a kind of high-level perspective, what we're able to do for issues like that is to kind of engage the system. And what we're working on doing, we're not doing it right now, what we're working on doing is to engage the system with data. Now, data is, is the biggest asset we have. It's, for us, it is it's our lifeblood because 
we're able to see what the issues are. We're able to see where the pain points are. We're able to then see forecast where if X was changed, what the, the, the knock-on and trigger effects would be to the people who are facing these problems. So, for instance, I go back to the, the one of the, the points I made about um, unpaid salaries. And one of the issues is that ultimately the way that they you would resolve this is to ultimately go to court. If someone, if a, an employer just did not want to pay your salaries, just said, take me to court. Ultimately, they have to go to court. It costs a lot to go to court. There's a, there's a massive time frame for you to go to court. And so the employee, employee will probably just be like, you know what, I'm just going to leave him alone. I don't have the time. I don't have the money to be able to, um, to, to follow that through. But we see that if we're able to engage with, if, with the data that we're, we're gathering, if we're able to engage the policymakers, the, the, the National Assembly, so those are the people that we, try to, we will try to engage high level, the, the, the National Assembly, the Ministry of Labor, and say to them, well, this is a massive problem that, has been, that people are facing in Nigeria. Why don't we tweak the access to court process a bit slightly? Why don't we make a separate path for the people who only have to deal with unpaid salaries? Why don't we have a one-week period where they go to court? Because deciding if somebody's owed or salary is fairly, straight, fairly straightforward. Is there an employment contract? Yes. Is there, does it stipulate what the salary is? Yes. Has the person performed the task? Yes. Was the person paid? No. Then you're entitled to your salary. It's a very straightforward path. And so why that has to go down the path of, of going to court for, for years on end, it, it, it boggles the mind. And so what we want to be able to do is go to those um, high-level um, um, partners, the, the National Assembly, the Ministry of, of Labor, and say to them, this, is, this needs to be changed. If this has changed, these are the people that are going to be affected and are going to be affected positively. And so essentially, the legislatures, the, 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 the ministers, their goal is they need to, they, they're there for one reason, to help the people. But you have to take to them data that backs up whatever policy you're trying to support. And one of the issues that we've had historically in Nigeria is our data gathering culture has not been the best. And that's why we see a, a very good benefit that we provide is because we're able to see that data, we're able to understand that data and present it in a, in a, in a, in a way that can actually influence policy for the, bet, for the better. I want to turn to the note of optimism that I think has been the tone of this forum all along. I want to give you a, an opportunity to talk about some of the programs that you're developing moving forward. I want to ask this question in a very particular way. Let's imagine for a second that we're fast forwarding five years, 10 years. Law Patty has continued to receive attention and investment and has grown and is at the full capacity of, of this legal service that you want to provide. And let's imagine that we have a 19-year-old woman who is in an abusive marriage, is working in a low-skilled, low-paid industry, and her employer is withholding some of her salary. So she's got this nexus of legal problems. Walk me through how your ideal version of Law Patty would transform that young woman's life and put her on a trajectory toward economic and personal growth and sustainability? So thank you for asking that question in this interesting way. So let's just call this lady Nancy. So Nancy has all these problems. Um, and, I want to be, and, and, and for me, in five, 10 years, Nancy should be able to engage with, her, with Law Party as a platform and number one, be able to get information about how she can get out of that marriage, out of that abusive marriage, 
ultimate with the ultimate um path which is divorce and how she would get there two she should be able to know what services and what partners that we would have that can help her with the domestic violence issue how can she get support for the for the domestic violence how can she get her husband arrested for the domestic violence and how can she go on as from on, on from a on, on from an emotional perspective how can she go on and get the support that she needs to be able to start her life um, outside of her husband and so that is from the personal perspective number one we want to give her information to be able to get a divorce and the services that would go on the back of that you want to be able to give her access to the partners who are verified that can help her with the domestic violence issues you want to give her access to the to the criminal justice system that she can get um, um, some justice for the because domestic violence is a crime so to access the criminal justice system and um, um, get her the support that she needs that would handhold her to, through that process because one of the issues that we face in this modern day version of law party is that when people come with those kind of domestic violence issues they feel like they can't engage with the system because all we've given them is information and they're still scared. They're living in abusive marriages. They, they don't want to go to the police. They don't want to go to the courts. And so we would be essentially providing the, the, the space and, and the support that she needs to be able to, to not only get out of that marriage, but also get the justice that she needs for the domestic violence. Now to, to Nancy's issues with her employer, Law Party would have, number one, been involved in the process, hopefully, been involved in future intervention, been involved in the process from once, even before she gets the job. Because one of the things that we're going to be working on in the future is to be able to educate people properly about their rights as, as employees. So you already, before you go into, into any interview, before you go, get a job, before you sign a contract, you know these are the things that are expected by your employer. And so you see the red flags. And so if um, month one, the person delays your salary by one week, and month two is one month, then you know that this is, this is a red flag. This, I, should be, yeah, I should be taking it on without waiting for six months, which is what happens now. People wait for six, nine months, and then that's when the penny drops and says, this guy is never going to pay me. And so we want to be able to, Law Party will provide you with the tools to be able to get an early warning signal for these kind of issues. And then if she finds herself in a position where, all right, she's there already, she's being owed some money, or the employer unfairly dismisses her, then we have the tools to be able to A, recover the money for, for her, B, give her access to the courts if, the, if at that time the, the court system has allowed her to be able to access it without number one, the need for a lawyer, and number two, we then provide the templates, forms that she would need to be able to actually make the application on her own. On her own. And so that's what we see, that in this iteration, in, in the future iteration, in the future engagement with the law party, all Nancy needs to do that engages the formal justice system is to A, report the, the case to the police, and B, ultimately get a divorce in the court. Everything else, we provide the tools to be able to help her get justice. Great, that sounds terrific. And so the final question I'll ask you is, um, given where Law Patty is at, given that ambitious vision for the kind of streamlined service delivery, right, the connection between prevention to contract uh, negotiation and knowing your rights, to when things have broken down, you know, what legal remedies are there to referrals outwards to these verified partners so you can have a kind of bundling of legal services, full services need, right? So there's a very ambitious vision there. Law Patty's already come a long way toward achieving that vision. What are the most crucial steps to get you from where you are to where you want to be when you have that full service legal solution? So I think ultimately there's three things 
trust. And I'll explain in in a second. Trust, money, the government. And when I say trust, um, in Nigeria at the moment, there's still a bit of reticence with using online tools, using online services. People, there's still that trust factor like, oh, this is something else in the cloud. We don't, we don't really want to engage with it. And in the last, I remember when we started Lopadi in 2015, the types of questions people were asking us is different from questions people are asking us now because we've built up that level of trust. People know us. We're becoming a brand. And in another five, 10 years, we're going to be, we're going to be here. We're going to be a stronger brand. We want to be, we want to be the, the Hoover. So when people think about justice, they don't think about justice. They think about Lopadi. They don't, because people don't think about vacuum cleaners, they think about Hoover. And so we want to be that brand for justice. We want to be the justice brand because that is the only way that we can create trust. So trust is important and we only get that trust by helping people consistently over the next few years and being here. We have to be here and, and we will be here. So that's the most important thing. Money is important as well because I think a lot of, when we started Lopad in 2015, and there were a lot of other legal tech companies that were starting, justice tech companies that were started up. And all of them have just kind of, a lot of them have fallen by the wayside. And it's because this, getting a sustainable business in justice is a very difficult task. And so you need to be able to find, be, be very creative with your, the way you approach getting revenue. And so we, initially we used to try and get um, equity funding. And then after a while, we just thought, you know what, we need to look in, inwards and build it out. And they will come and we start this, they've started to come. Now, whether people are getting involved with Law Party from, a, from an impact perspective or they're getting involved in Law Party from a, oh, we see a sustainable financial future with this company that I can get 10x returns. We're seeing those types of people coming in now and we just want to ensure that we keep on building that confidence in the next few years. And so hopefully we get that money coming, whether it's by impact investment, whether it's by equity investment, looking for 10x returns. Money is important and we need that money. Um, and then ultimately government. So a lot of the innovations that we have, and there's, we have loads of them. Honestly, we could write a book on what we need to do to change the laws, to change the policies, to help justice in Nigeria and, and, and across the world, actually. And, but we need government for a lot of things. I, I reference the things like around changing the, the court system around divorce, changing the court system around em, em, employment rights, even the way laws are written and kind of and, and, and then kind of passed on to, to, the, to, to the people, the, the government passes, a, the, the legislature passes a law, the government side, the president signs into a law, and that's it. There's no kind of, there's, there's, there's not a concerted effort to educate people about what does this new law mean about your rights? What, how does it affect you? So you know a law has been passed and maybe off, off the cuff, maybe a newspaper report explains it, but there's no immersive way for you to learn how it actually affects you. Recently, Nigeria passed a new finance um, act that essentially changes the tax system in Nigeria. And so someone, with someone talking about, um, I, I was talking to someone and said, oh, do you know what the new finance act says? He says, yeah, well, what does the old finance act say? I don't even know what the old one says. And so it's that kind of, People have to be carried along with the, the, not only the law, when laws are made, but also the lawmaking process. And Law Party wants to be involved in that as well. Whether we're involved in the, in the policy and the lawmaking, or we're just being involved in the dissemination of the law and helping people understand how it is. And we have ideas about that, whether it's gamification of laws, whether it's infographics, whether it's um, um, explainer videos. That is all about what Law Party is about. And so, yeah, so like I said, it's the trust, it's the money, it's the government. So much of what you say feels applicable to a context beyond Nigeria. And I have to say, I feel like 
the generation that we share is a generation that is leaning into tech, is leaning into a grassroots idea of democracy. It's a kind of global movement. We've seen a lot of movement um, from the climate sector around young, innovative, uh, visionary leaders standing up and saying, you know, enough, I'm going to take responsibility for the future of my own country. Um, for the future of my own planet. I think that's the idea behind the SDG goals. And, you know, I think when you research the Sahel as a region, it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to think, gosh, this is a situation that is unraveling and is falling apart. But when you talk to specific activists, members of NGOs, innovators in government, it's very inspiring and, and, and gives a lot of reason for hope in the future that this is, you know, a country and, and a continent with tremendous energy and innovation. So thank you for taking the time to, to share your thoughts with me today. Any uh, concluding remarks that you want to you wrap up with, either for me or, or potentially for other law, tech, or justice innovators who are, who are trying to break into that very difficult space? Thank you, Joanna. So I just want to thank you for taking the time out to speak to me as well. Um, it means a lot to see that a lot of people are starting to get a stronger interest in what people like myself and other innovators are doing in, in not just in Africa, but across the world. My final word would be to anyone who has an innovation or is thinking about getting involved in this space, the mission is justice. And, and, and I think, and I, and I say this with all humility, I think it's one of the noblest missions that for you to strive for a more just and fair world. I sometimes think about the almost birth lottery. There is nothing that you have done to have been born in, in the USA or I born in Nigeria or somebody born in Sudan or, or in Mexico or wherever. People are born where they're born in their own specific circumstance. And some, some, some of them have win the birth lottery, if you will, and some don't. And so the only way that once you're born, the only way that you can make an impact is to try and make the world a more just place. So once you have that mission, and once your mission is for justice, it, might, it doesn't have to be you setting up a, a, a version of Law Party or a version of any other um, justice platform. It's just justice also in your day-to-day -day life, in just the way you interact with people around you, the way you interact with people that work for you, the way you act with people that you provide services to. Make it a just and fair world, and that's how we can win, one by one, being just. Rule of Law Talk is a production of the World Justice Project. This episode on access to civil justice in the Sahel has been part of the Rule of Law Solutions Initiative, a storytelling program for sharing effective approaches for strengthening the rule of law worldwide. Rule of Law Solutions is a registered acceleration action for UN Sustainable Development Goal 16.3 which aims to promote the rule of law at the national and international levels and ensure equal access to justice for all. Please tune in to our next episode, where I speak with Dr. Sam Muller, CEO of Hill, the Hague Institute for Innovation of Law, about how social entrepreneurs have the potential to transform access to civil justice in the Sahel. The Rule of Law Solutions Initiative is made possible by the American Council of Learned Societies and the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation. Additional support for access to civil justice in the Sahel has been provided by the Knowledge Management Fund, a program of the Knowledge Management Platform Security and the Rule of Law at the Klingendale Institute for International Relations, Netherlands. Special thanks to Babatunde Ibidapo Obe for his participation in this recording. Additional sounds provided by Jordan Powell under Creative Commons non-commercial license. I'm Joe Haley. Thank you for listening.